Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Some say history is a river that flows endlessly. I say that history is a series of stories written by each person's experiences. Welcome to Stories, a history of Appalachia, one story at a time. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Steve Gilley, along with Rod Mullins, here to continue the story of the Hatfield and McCoy feud. We've told you about the origins of the families and the tragic romance between Rosanna McCoy and John C. Hatfield, which laid the foundation for a decade of warfare in the hills of the Tug Valley between Kentucky and West Virginia. Now, let's get into the fighting itself, which stems from a crime committed in 1882. Well, as we've said before, in the 1880s, local elections were the highlight of Appalachian social life. After church gatherings and, to be honest, getting drunk on moonshine was usually frowned upon by the church then as it is now. On August 7, 1882, that was the date for local elections in Kentucky. The candidates that both clans supported won, so there was a lot of celebrating going on and a lot of liquor being poured and drunk, and the polls were open on Blackberry Creek, a tributary of the Tug around sunrise. This particular polling station was on Hatfield Branch, which runs into Blackberry Creek not far from Maitwan, West Virginia, and one of the Hatfields present that day was one Ellison Hatfield, whose older brother was none other than Devil Ants. Also there that day were three of Randall McCoy's boys, Talbert, Farmer, and 16-year-old Randolph Jr., or Bud, as he was called. Uh, one of the officials at the election that day was Devil Ants' 47-year-old cousin, also named Ants, but referred to as Preacher Ants to distinguish the two men. And because Preacher Ants was, in fact, a highly respected Baptist preacher of the Word of God. Now remember, it had only been a little over a year since the boy's sister, Rosanna, had had her affair with John C. Hatfield and lost her baby, with no justice administered since John C. had been taken from the custody of the McCoy family by Devil Ants and his posse. So there were hard feelings between the two families that day, and it all came to a hit. You see, Ellison, father of 11 children, was a physically powerful man who was a Confederate veteran of the Civil War and who'd been a lieutenant in Pickett's division. As such, Ellison was with the division in Gettysburg on July 3, 1863, participating in Pickett's charge, so Ellison Hatfield was not one to be cowed by anybody. Well, as the day passed and the drinking increased in the crowd that was gathered around the Blackberry Creek polling place, things suddenly took a dark turn. 
The McCoy boys, led by Talbert, had been arguing with Lias Hatfield, another member of the Klan, about a $1.75 debt that Talbert claimed Bad Lias owed him for a fiddle that he had sold him. It was at this time that Ellison came up on the group, drunk on moonshine, and joined in the back and forth, apparently trying to break up an impending fight. Talbert looked straight at the Confederate hero and told him, I'm hell on earth, to which Ellison replied, you're a damn effing hog. Oh, it was on by that time. <laughs> well, the three McCoy men and Ellison Hatfield got into a fist fight that quickly escalated when knives were drawn. Ellison was stabbed 26 times by his attackers, but still fortified by moonshine, he kept on holding his own. Well, that is until guns were drawn. One of the McCoys shot Ellison with a shotgun at point-blank range, finally dropping him to the ground. Constable Floyd Hatfield took Talbert, Farmer, and Bud into custody for transport to the Pike County Jail in Pikeville. Ellison Hatfield was taken to the home of Anderson Farrell in Warm Hollow, just behind the depot at Matewan, where he was tended to as best they could. Well, the constable and his men started off with their prisoners from the polling place on Blackberry Creek headed to Pikeville. As they came around a hill on the road to the county seat, they were ambushed by devil ants and a posse made up of his kin, and they were relieved of the McCoy men. Ants took them across the state line into West Virginia and temporarily held them in an old building to await Ellison's fate. If his brother died, then so would his attackers. And there they stayed, Rod, tied up for the next two days. Well, during that time, some of the McCoy women appeared to plead for the lives of their kin, but it was to no avail. Because on the afternoon of August 9, 1882, Ellison Hatfield died, and the fate of Talbert, Farmer, and Bud was sealed. The Hatfield men got them up and hauled them down to the tug, where they soon found a place with a pawpaw thicket. There, the three were blindfolded and tied to a pawpaw tree. The Hatfield men then, at point-blank range, shot Talbert's head off with a shotgun in front of the other two McCoys, then proceeded to kill them, unloading all their weapons into the three bodies. The bodies of the three McCoys were hauled in a sled from the bank of the Tug River near the mouth of Mate Creek to the McCoy home on Blackberry Fork of Pond Creek. The seven-mile trip across a mountain by a man driving a horse with a sled in tow would have taken a half day. Well, indictments were issued for ants and other members of the Klan who were involved, but no action was taken to extradite them back into Kentucky for at least five years. Eventually, several of the Hatfield men were brought back across the tug in a, well, let's say extra-legal way. And that led to a landmark ruling from the United States Supreme Court, which resulted in open season for bounty hunters in both states. But that's a story for another episode coming real soon. Well, the murder of Ellison Hatfield in this remote Appalachian Valley brought newspapers from all over the world to the area in search of the next sensational development in the feud, and it also eventually brought the world many of the negative stereotypes that we live with in Appalachia to this day. You know, for example, ignorant, uneducated hillbillies, drunk on moonshine, indiscriminate violence, hatred, distrust, fear of outsiders. All these familiar images stem from the predecessor of the yellow press of the 1880s and 1890s. Anything, Rod, to sell newspapers in New York and Chicago, London and Paris. Not to say there wasn't violence. 
Indeed, there was, but the majority of the folks in the Tug River Valley, including, in fact, most of the Hatfields and McCoys, were not at war with each other. They simply wanted the whole thing to go away, and they felt that what had happened to Talbert, Farmer, and Bud was a you know, kind of a rough kind of justice that should end the whole thing. Unfortunately, it didn't. And Rod, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit toward the, I guess, the end of this whole history of the Hatfields and McCoys, because I think this is an important point to make about these newspapers. Mm-hmm. There was a reporter for the New York World by the name of Theron C. Crawford, or T.C. Crawford, who actually managed to make his way into the Tug Valley and actually got to meet in person Devil Ants Hatfield and his clan there at Devil Ants' house. Wow. The result of this meeting was a book that he put out uh, about the feud in 1888. And in that is a listing of all these things that you and I and everybody else here in Appalachia have had to live with our entire lives. You know, the barefoot hillbilly, the um, feuding, the images, the violence, the ignorance, all this that we've had to deal with in Appalachia as a stereotype has its roots in the writing that came after the Hatfield and McCoy feud. You know, I think that kind of goes along with something that I tweeted out on Twitter the other day about uh, for so many years, we've thought that it's been Appalachia versus the media mm-hmm. when it's really been the media versus Appalachia. Outsiders versus Appalachia, those with mm-hmm. power versus Appalachia. And in one way or the other, it continues to this day, but I'm going to stop there because we are not a political podcast. That's right. Well, the feud itself was revived in a horrific way on New Year's Day of 1888 at the Randolph-McCoy farm along Blackberry Creek. Why, you might ask? Well, all because the efforts of a Pikeville lawyer who'd lost his family land in a lawsuit with Devil Ants Hatfield many years before. And Rod and I will tell you that story on our next podcast. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Tune in or on your favorite podcast app. We're on Twitter at Story Appalachia, and we're on Facebook at Stories of Appalachia. Our website, if you want to go check out some other writing and blog posts that we've done, as well as other podcasts, is StoriesPodcast.net. Again, thanks for listening. Till next time, take care. So long, everybody. 